the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And remember, as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Um, just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we'd love your calls. We don't have anything going, so I'll get right to questions. The first one is an interesting question. It was sent into our email inbox by Lynette. She says, since Israel, and that's, or Lynette, it's good to hear from you again. Since Israel has found an abundant supply of natural gas under the Mediterranean Sea, does this mean the wealth of nations will come to Israel by the selling of natural gas per Isaiah chapter 60, verse 5? A couple of things about this, um, uh, Lynette. Uh, first and foremost, it is fascinating that until uh, very early, in the 21st century, uh, Israel was literally the only country in the Middle East that was oil poor. Um, small strip of land uh, surrounded by all of these deserts and countries that are abundant in in reserves and and uh, uh, oil. And uh, obviously, the the Middle East is is fabulously wealthy. Uh, and Israel, it appeared like God put His people in that place. Uh, where they were the only ones that had nothing. Uh, and that's no longer the case. Uh, early in the 2000s, I don't know exactly when it was, uh, but early in the 2000s, uh, in the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, they discovered uh, in in an area belonging to Israel, abundant natural gas resources. Now, it doesn't really have anything to do with uh, Isaiah, the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 60, verse 5. Because that looks forward to a time, Lynette, when uh, we're, we're in the millennial reign of Christ on earth. Um, verse 4 in that passage is, Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the arm. And this, of course, looks forward to the regathering of Jews into their homelands. Now, we know that a very small uh, fulfillment of this prophecy occurred in 1948, uh, and it continues to this very day. However, uh, prophecy often has both a short-term and long-term fulfillment. This is certainly not the long-term fulfillment. Uh, this is a promise that all Jews are going to come home for good. Um, um, just can't imagine 
what it'll be like. I always think here of the great Jew of Israel as they departed from Egypt, finally set free. Uh, but this much greater joy will happen because they're going to come home. And then the fifth verse that you asked about says, then you will look and be radiant. Your heart, now that radiant is not just to God, but radiant to the rest of the world. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the, on the seas will be brought to you to the riches of the nations will come. I'm sorry, to you, the riches of the nation will come. And the idea there, Lynette, is very simple. Uh, in that day, um, um, we're told that uh, in that day, ten Gentiles will grab one Jew and say, take me, take me. And, and uh, you know, the whole world will be coming to Jerusalem. Um, you know, for much of Israel's history, they've been plundered by enemies. But here, we're told that those who plundered them will bring their riches to them. Um, I just love the idea of this. But this isn't something that's going to happen now. This will happen after Jesus comes back in Revelation chapter 19 and reestablishes uh, his, the world will be in, under his control. Lynette, that day could be as close as seven years away. That's how close it could be. Now, obviously, every day we wait, it extends that day. But since Jesus could come at any time, um, that day is not in the distant future, as we all believed it once was. It's coming pretty soon. Really good question, Lynette. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to... Maria on line one from San Antonio. Maria, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, how are you? God bless you. Thank you. Um, I'm doing well. My question is, thank you, thank you. Uh, my question is, I know a little bit of the things of God compared to my husband. Mm-hmm. My husband has a drinking problem, and it's been six years that I'm dealing with his alcoholism. And I just feel like I wanted more of God, and I don't want to force God on him. So he went maybe two, three times to church with me. I don't see a change in him, which is not going to happen right away. I know that. But is it wrong to have separated from him? Because I feel that he'll pull me towards his side, and I don't want to be pulled towards his side. I want to walk in the things of God. So I finally separated from him because I feel like I can't help someone that doesn't want to help himself. Yeah, Maria, this is a tough one. Can I ask you a question before uh, you get off and, and listen to the answer? Is there any physical violence in the home against you? No, he physically doesn't hurt me. He's, he's a good man and he's got a good heart. Yeah. He's very... He helps a lot in the house and the cooking, the cleaning, whatever. He's a good man and he has a good heart. It's just that drinking problem. Yeah, I understand. Okay, Maria, let me let me take a little bit of time with this. Um, you know, when, when Paul writes to the Corinthians that no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man, uh, I want you to know you're not alone. Uh, I've got uh, a bunch of women and, and a couple of men uh, who are in the same situation with their spouses. Uh, for some, it's alcohol. For others, it's drugs. Uh, for some, it's something as, as evil as pornography. Um, but, but you're not alone. You're not alone. Uh, had I been your pastor, if you guys had come to our church, um, I wouldn't have told you if there's no threat of violence, I wouldn't have told you to separate from him. I would have told you uh, to use First Peter chapter 3 as your mission statement um, to win your husbands over without a word, without nagging. And you're right. You can't force him uh, to, to, to Christ. You can't make him stop drinking. He's got to want to do it. Um, and the only power on earth that's great enough for him to want to stop is the power of the Holy Spirit. But what you can do in that situation, Maria, is that you can show him your joy. I was just writing something today about my past. And, and you know, the thing that convinced me that Jesus was real finally was that, that Paula, in, in praying for me for 13 years, now think about that. For 13 years, she prayed for me to get saved. And I was a control freak. I was a jerk. Again, I wasn't physically violent or anything like that. I always tell people I couldn't be physically violent because Paula could beat me up. But the idea is that that she 
had so much joy, even even in the middle of the pain that I was causing. She had so much joy that I could see that Jesus was real. And that's eventually what convinced me that that her Jesus was stronger than I was. And 13 years down the road, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I mention that is because you said that you're afraid that he's going to drag you to his side. Uh, You can't use that as an excuse. Maria, your mission in your home is to stay as close to Jesus as you can. And to let your light so shine before your husband that he sees Jesus all over you and coming from you. And and let the Holy Spirit, and of course, not only are you going to be living for Christ, but you're going to be praying for your husband. And that will give the Holy Spirit a chance to convince him. And as you indicated, Maria, you can't convince him, but the Holy Spirit can. And at some point, he's going to get desperate enough that he turns... Um, um, to, to to your God, and, and it's not going to be easy. It's going to be painful for you to watch that descent into the, into the difficulty. But you see, you've sanctified your husband. By that, I mean you've set him apart. The Holy Spirit is on a mission to go win him. And, and God's preference, Maria, and because I don't know any of the other details, God's preference is that you stay with your husband. And you try to win him over. He becomes not the enemy of your ministry, but the object of your ministry. And the way you do that, and I'm going to tell you up front, it's going to be difficult and it's going to be painful, but your husband is worth it. And even with the drinking problem, I'm certain he's not as big a jerk as I was, but but I was finally convinced Now, because you've already separated, and I want to make this clear, I don't want it to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but because you've already separated, um, then I think at the very least it's time for you to have a conversation with your husband and let him know that you love him, he's a good man, but, but the condition of you coming back into the home is that he stopped drinking. And just leave it in his lap. Pray for him and leave it in his his heart to make that choice. And um, he's going to have to wrestle with what's more important to him. Is the drinking more important to him or are you more important to him? And it doesn't mean that you can say to him, until you get saved, I'm not coming back. That That would be disingenuous. But you can say, I'm simply not strong enough in my walk with the Lord to live in the home with you as a drunk. Tell him you love him. Tell him you, 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 you want your marriage to be strong. You, you want him to get saved eventually so that you can serve the Lord together. But at this point, you're simply not strong enough to be in the house with a man who is a drunk. And don't make it sound like you're being critical. Just as a matter of fact, this is for your walk with the Lord. And this is your opportunity, Maria, to tell him that you love Jesus so much. In fact, that Jesus is the only man on in the world, in heaven, that you love more than you love your husband. But what you need to do is prayerfully make that choice. God knows your heart. He knows your husband's heart. And uh, he knows the future. So this is a matter for prayer. Spend time in the Bible. At the beginning of the call, you said something that uh, you know uh, the, about God of uh, some you said, or a little bit you said, uh, you've got to get so close to Jesus right now that whatever he leads you and directs you to do, well, Maria, that's what you're going to do, and you'll do it not by your strength or your power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maria, you, you need to be in church. You didn't indicate whether or not you're going to a church, but be a part of a church Uh, Get help, get counsel, surround yourself with other godly women who have been through uh, similar situations. Uh, Don't listen for their opinion. When I say godly women, I don't just mean people who go to church. I mean women who actually have the fruit of the Holy Spirit coming from them, and they're going to lead you to Christ. And Jesus will speak to your heart. He'll tell you what to do. But you have to make that choice now. Again, had you not been separated, I would have said, don't separate. You don't have any grounds to separate. But because you are, now this is a matter where the Lord will lead you and direct you. And Maria, I I understand the pain you're in. Um, Marriages like this, unequally yoked marriages, um, 
by far, by far, cause more pain than any other issue that we have to deal with in counseling here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, And that goes back over now 27 and a half years. So, Maria, God bless you. I will be praying for you. So please um, stay in touch and let us know that you're okay. Thank you for the phone call. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Charles. Pastor, you keep saying that we don't have to observe the original Sabbath, but there are some things we keep observing. How do you disregard the Sabbath law? Charles, I get this question, it seems like, once a week, and I've answered it so many times, so please hear my heart on this. The Sabbath law was not given to you or to me. You know, you and I, when we are in the United States, we don't have to obey the laws in France or in Italy or in England or or Mexico. We don't have to worry about those laws because those laws don't apply to us. Well, in exactly the same way, the the Sabbath law, the Ten Commandments, all of the other things that, that we read about in our Old Testament, those were not laws given to us. Now, this is basic hermeneutics. It's it's sort of 101 in, in understanding the Bible. As you read the Bible, you've got to understand um, to whom is the command being given? What is the author saying? What is in his intent in writing it? And then how do we apply that in our lives? Well, I can't apply in my life any law that was given first to Israel as a nation. That's important was given to Israel as a nation, wasn't given to, 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 to you or to me, and then uh, a law that is uh, no longer in effect because Jesus canceled the old code. The Apostle Paul talks about that. Jesus said, uh, talked about new, new wine, needing new wine skins. He, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. So uh, I'm not disregarding the Sabbath law. I think the principle works wonderfully. We need some rest, and we need to protect that rest, and we need to spend uh, a lot of time with the Lord, not just on that day, but every day. But the New Testament makes it exceedingly clear that all days are like a Sabbath. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath law. He is, in fact, Hebrews 4 says, our Sabbath rest. So uh, for us to keep the Jewish Sabbath or to celebrate the Jewish festivals uh, or to tithe, um, as the Jews were instructed to do, um, makes no sense at all because those are laws that weren't given to us at all. So Charles, please read and study your Bible. Be a workman, rightly dividing the Word of God, because you've got to know what it says and how we can use it. Again, there's principles that we can glean from these things, but this law has been canceled. And by the way, it was the first century church that changed it. It's interesting. I'm in the book of Acts, uh, and where I'm going to just touch in chapter 2 this coming Sunday. And, um, you know, it was on the day of Pentecost um, 50 days after the Passover. It was the day of Pentecost uh, where the Holy Spirit made his grand entrance into the world. And the day of Pentecost, or the festival of Pentecost, was always on the first day of the week. And so that's why the first century church began celebrating uh, corporate worship. They gathered together on the first day of the week, uh, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, that was the first day of the week and the entrance of the Holy Spirit into this world. So, Charles, we don't have to observe the original Sabbath because the original Sabbath was not for us. Here's a question from Patrick. I can almost sense the frustration in your question, Patrick. He says, how can we be perfect when nothing good lives in us? And Patrick, in parentheses, writes Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, which simply says, Jesus is summarizing the Sermon on the Mount. Um, says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And Patrick, what Jesus is doing there is simply saying, if you want to get to heaven, 
Remember, this is a very Jewish sermon. The Jews had a law, a law that condemned them, a law that said you're guilty, a law that says you deserve death. And in this particular case, uh, Jesus says, well, I'm going to up that one bit, the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to take it one step further. It's not just the letter of the law that you have to handle perfectly, but the spirit behind the law. And so Jesus is making, and I know this is a, 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 an oxymoron, but, but a, a, a double point here about um, perfection. I'm going to say, uh, you, can't, you can't keep the law, you're convicted. Well, I'm going to even raise the standard. Instead of lowering the standard, you raise it. He says, I say unto you that if a man looks at a woman with lust, he's guilty of adultery. If he calls a man a fool, then he's guilty of murder. And she's simply saying, so it's not only the letter of the law you have to keep, but the spirit behind the letter of the law that you have to keep. And if you want to go to heaven and not believe in me, the only way to do it is to be perfect. Now, here's what's important about Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. When we get to that place, Patrick, we should do just what you've done. We should simply kind of throw up our hands and say, since I can't be perfect, I'm done trying. And I think if, if all of us, if just the thousands of people that are listening to this program would say, I'm done trying, I'm, stop, I'm going to stop striving to be good, Lord, I think you'd get a big sigh of relief, maybe so audible that we could hear it from heaven. It's like the Lord saying, finally. And then we'd let Jesus do the work. Because there's nothing good in my flesh, Patrick, I can't even try. I had a friend many years ago that said, Ron, stop trying and start dying. And when we die to our flesh, then the power of the Holy Spirit takes over, Patrick, and we can live, well, maybe we can't live perfectly because there's still a sin nature in us that's battling against the Spirit in us. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I find this law at work. When I sin, it's not me who sins, but sin living in me. Paul had that same uh, difficult struggle. But the idea here is that we can, though we can't be perfect, we can walk in and live enjoying the perfection that God has given us. Patrick, I'm not perfect because of anything that I can do. I'm perfect because Jesus made me that way and said I was. And I think what that enables us to do is to, to, to fight this battle of spirit versus flesh from a position of victory rather than from a position of defeat. And for everybody who's out there trying their best to be good or to do more good than, than bad or even to do better than they once were, every one of us is trying to fight that battle. We understand how frustrating it is and how unfruitful it is. So what do we do? We simply say, Jesus, the power that raised you from the dead lives in me. And I'm going to move out of the way. I always tell our church here, Patrick, that the, the, the crucifixion of the flesh starts in the morning. Look at yourself in the mirror and just say no. you got to say no to you so that you can say yes to Jesus. And that's when he can take over. It's very important for all of you out there. The Sermon on the Mount is so frustrating. You know, if somebody hits me in one cheek, i got to turn the other cheek to him. Nobody can live like that. And that's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying, that's why I came. That's why you need me. So rather than let this be a source of frustration for us, let this be a source of encouragement in the sense that Jesus can do in me what I cannot do for myself. Okay, Patrick, thank you for the question. I think we're inside two minutes, so I am going to take a question I can do pretty quickly here, and I'll come back on the other side of the break for the other. Um, Alex, okay, here's what I can do quickly. Alex says, why doesn't the Bible mention anything about Joseph, Jesus' father, after the Gospels? Alex, um, it doesn't mention anything because he's obviously off the scene. It is clear that Joseph died. 
uh, fairly early in Jesus' life and went on to his rewards after Jesus was resurrected uh, from the dead. Uh, But uh, the Bible doesn't mention anything about him simply because he was not on the scene any longer. And and that makes uh, it makes it better uh, able for to be understood as we go through the Gospels and read about the struggles that Jesus was having with his family. You know, his mother and his brothers and his sisters thought he was crazy and they went to take charge. And except for Mary, they weren't believers uh, until after the risen Christ appeared to them post-resurrection. So Joseph uh, has died. Uh, he's not in the story any longer. And the Bible doesn't do that. One other comment about this, Alex. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 1, I just did it last Sunday. Uh, that's the last mention of Mary in our Bibles. Mary lives 11 years after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection with the Apostle John. Uh, and then she goes to heaven to serve not only not just her son, but her Lord and Savior. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome, welcome back to the program. We have 30 minutes left on our Tuesday show. Hey, before I go to a phone call, would you all please keep Paula in prayer? I told you yesterday she has now arrived safely in Houston and she will be uh, speaking to... Um, the ladies at Calvary Chapel of Houston, that's in Friendswood, Texas, tonight. Uh, so she'll be starting, I think, around 7 o'clock uh, when the service starts. And uh, she would love to know that you guys are praying for her. So please keep Paula in your prayers, and I'm sure she'll have a report for us when she gets back here on Thursday. Let's go to Floresville and speak with Vince on line one. Vince, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thank you. I really enjoy listening to you because you really are very clear in your statements, but I just can't help but disagree with many things that you say. <laughs> I caught the last part of your answer about the Sabbath not being made for us. And clearly, the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, or the other nine, not made for us either. And Jesus clearly said that the Sabbath made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So it wasn't just Jewish, if that was what you were saying. I caught the, I didn't, I missed the first part of your answer. And then the other, about going to heaven. There's no one in heaven. We don't go to heaven when we die. We go to the grave. The Bible is clear about that. John three thirteen. No one is ascended to heaven except the Son of Man. So, I mean, I just, I'll, I'll listen on the air, but some of the things you say are just biblically incorrect. Thank you, Vince. I'll do my best to explain. I just would encourage you to actually read your Bible and understand it in the sense that it is written. First and foremost, uh, all you have to do is look at Luke chapter 16, um, um, where where we've got um, the rich man and, and Lazarus um, in different compartments. And then we know that Jesus went and emptied that compartment upon his resurrection, his death and resurrection. He emptied that, that place of, of called paradise or Abraham's bosom and set the, took the captives and set them free. And, he, and they came in his train. Ephesians chapter 4 uh, took him in his train and uh, he took them with him in heaven. To be absent from the body, First Corinthians is is to be present with the Lord. So um, just read your Bible, just understand it. Uh, Jesus was speaking to Jews; his ministry was Jewish, and at the time that he was speaking, it's true that when he said to the thief on the cross, "Today you will be with me in paradise," that's where the the the, the righteous dead descended. Um, um, before the resurrection. But all of that changed with the resurrection. Now, with regarding the Sabbath, and again, I want to be this, I want to be so very clear. Of the Ten Commandments, in our New Testament, nine of them are repeated over and over and over. So, of course, we keep the Ten Commandments. 
but not because we're under law. We keep the Ten Commandments because that's what Christ-like behavior looks like. We put the Lord our God first and foremost. Uh, when Christ, who is our life, appears, Paul writes to the, to the Colossians, um, we worship him and, and worship him alone. But, but all of the Ten Commandments, the vertical and the horizontal commandments, of course those things are repeated in our New Testament. The only one that isn't is the Sabbath law. And it's because Hebrews 4 says the Sabbath was, in fact, fulfilled by Jesus Christ. The other thing, and I don't know why this is hard for people, Vince, it's, it's the Sabbath, the, the, the law given to Israel, that covenant was fulfilled and thus canceled. Read Romans, read Galatians, um, read Jesus in the upper room before his crucifixion. This is the cup of the new covenant. The new covenant supersedes the old covenant, even in his ministry to Jews uh, in Israel. He talked about new wineskins um, to hold new wine. And, and what he was saying was the law is the old wineskin, and you can't pour the new wine that he's come to bring in an old wineskin or it will burst. So, Vince, it's, it's, a, it's a simple matter of reading. That's all you have to do. Read what it says. To whom was the, the law given? Now, see, you've got yourself in a trap here, Vince, because... If you insist that we have to keep the Sabbath law because it's part of the Ten Commandments, then you've got to keep the other 603 or somewhat more than 600 laws that were given to Moses. Yet we can't do that. So the Sabbath, the original Jewish Sabbath, was important. And again, the principle is something that we really need to, to hold on to. Um, we need rest. We, we need to, to spend some time. The Apostle Paul says that for the Christian to Colossians and Galatians, that every day is a Sabbath for us. Some observe one day, others observe another day. So the whole idea of, of celebrating the Sabbath, the seventh day, um, is simply foreign to a New Testament understanding of our Bibles. So Vince just... Read it. You don't have to interpret it. Just read what it says. Understand that the law was given to Israel. The new covenant was given to us. And that's why we have the New Testament. If it weren't true, then we wouldn't need a New Testament at all. We could, we could shut it off after the Gospel of John. We wouldn't need any further instruction. But it's that simple. And why we make it difficult, I just can't understand. So, Vince, thanks very much. I appreciate that you listen. Let's go to Lucy on line two from San Antonio. Lucy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. You have a wonderful day of two for one. <laughs> uh, I have Rocio in the car with me, and oh. we are just enjoying the sunny afternoon and hoping it's not too cold for you. Well, it is too cold for me, and I also know that if Rocio is in the car with you, you're having a whole lot more fun than I am. Yes, we're, we <laughs> always have a, a good time. You want to say hi, Rocio? Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, hi Rocio. Hello. Thank you. Every time we're together, we always find someone to say hi to, that, that we love Jesus, and, and we are infectious in our um, sharing uh, our faith. And we just had a wonderful lunch at La Madeline and just have been enjoying the afternoon. Um, we got together with Marilyn and her mom, uh, Eileen, Oh, good. And so we're very happy today, and now almost the day is done. I'm going to take Rocio home. But I just want to that no matter where we go, we can share Jesus. And no, uh, no I you do. Wanted I wanted to encourage everybody. Good. Thank you, Lucy. <laughs> Lucy, Lucy can talk. No, I, I mean that in, in a very nice way. 
But nobody can talk as much as Rocio does. She loves the Lord with all of her heart. And you know what? If you tried to make her be quiet, I think it'd blow the top off of her head. So uh, thank you, ladies. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, one of the real thrills of being a pastor is I get to have people like Lucy and Rocio uh, in my life and in my heart. Great, great phone call. Thank you, Lucy. Here is a question from uh, Anonymous. Uh, He or she says, I feel sad a lot of the time. I know I shouldn't, but I can't help it. Can you help me? Um, Anonymous, I'm not belittling at all your sadness. It's real. Um, Emotions are real, uh, but they're just not reliable. And so here's the answer, and it's really very simple and straightforward. You've got to be with Jesus. The Bible says, in his presence is the fullness of joy. Now, that doesn't mean you're happy and, and all the difficult things you're dealing with just magically go away. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that in his presence, his joy overwhelms your sadness. And you can still feel sad. You can still be compassionate for other people. Um, the things that, that are, are causing you difficulty, even they don't go away. But in his presence is the fullness of joy. Nehemiah adds that the, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so when you're feeling sad, you've got to get in the presence of Jesus and you can turn that joy that he provides for you into strength that will sustain you. One of the things anonymous we have to remember is that we have the, 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 the Spirit of God living in us. And that power is just waiting to burst from us. And in order to do that, we've got to get beyond all of the fleshy things or the worldly things that are causing us difficulty. And we've got to walk like men and women who are really grateful because of what God has done. And in those moments when you're sad, you can take those thoughts captive. And the way you do that is simply say, Lord, I'm sad. This makes me sad or this circumstance makes me sad. My goodness, people that are watching the news and and the things that are going on in in our country. I mean, how can you not be sad? But that's when you have to choose, according to Colossians chapter 3 in verses 1 and 2. You got to choose to set your mind, that's a place of decision, and your heart, the place of affection, on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of glory. And so it's a, it's a, a transition that we have to make. And since we all deal with emotions, and since a lot of times those emotions are going haywire, what we've got to do is make a decision that because God lives in me, Christ in us, the hope of glory, I'm no longer going to hold on to that focus. I'm going to instead focus on what he wants. I'm going to focus on his goodness. I'm going to enter his courts with thanksgiving. I don't know if you're a worshiper uh, or not, and I be, by that I mean music, but, but you know, you can sing songs. When I first got saved, my whole world was caving in. But, but I made up songs. I wasn't raised in church, so I didn't have any of the baggage that, that a lot of Christians do. Um, and, and so I, w- I would just make up my own songs. I didn't know hymns. I didn't know anything. So uh, I just make up my own songs. And when you're walking with Jesus, when you're singing songs to him anonymous, it's really almost impossible to stay sad. And it also helps you sort of refocus on the problems that you're dealing with. It's very important. So just be with Jesus. Decide to think about the things above. And then instead of letting your heart, the place of affection, focus on the pain all around you, let your heart travel to heaven and remember what God has done for you and fall more in love with him than you've ever been before. And I promise you, sadness will go away. You know, I get a lot of flack from people because... Well, depression is a condition. You know what? Depression is no match for the Holy Spirit. It's when we're focusing on depression, we're focusing on ourselves, or we're focusing on our problems that we're going to be overwhelmed with sadness. 
So what we have to do is refocus. It's really that straightforward. So I hope that helps. It it uh, it works one hundred percent of the time. And then when you start to feel sad again, your emotions kick in. Just remember that your emotions are going to be used by an enemy to try to throw you off track, to destroy you. And that's when we have to fight like crazy to get back into the presence of the Lord. Okay, thank you very very much. Let me also say this, Vince. I hope you're uh, listening still from the phone call. Uh, I forgot something you said. The Lord just brought it back to my mind. You said, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for men, not men for the Sabbath. If you'll remember, the context of that is Jesus healing people on the Sabbath. And he was correcting the Jewish misunderstanding of the Sabbath. They had all of these rules and connections. And, and Jesus said, you guys don't get it at all. If that weren't the case, then Jesus would be guilty of violating the Sabbath law, which would have disqualified him from being able to die for our sins. So it's very important that we read things in context. And Jesus basically was scolding the religious leaders. You guys have it all wrong, he was saying. You think man was made for the Sabbath. Completely wrong. The Sabbath was made for man. It's supposed to be relief. That's why we who are Christians, not bound by one day of Sabbath observance, we get to rest in the Lord every single day. Please, then read Hebrews chapter 4. Read it several times. It's not long. Read it several times. And let the Lord deliver you from bondage to rules. We don't have to follow rules. Instead of the Ten Commandments being a got-to, in the joy of the Lord, they become a get-to. That's a big difference. Okay, let's go to Israel. Not really to Israel, but a question from Israel. He says, was Paul talking about his life pre-Christ in Romans 7? It doesn't seem possible that he could be talking about himself at least after he got saved. Um, Israel Paul was talking about his day-to-day experience. What I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Romans chapter 7 is is his struggle, his battle with the flesh every single day. Now, Israel, you and I, were a lot like the Apostle Paul in this regard. We struggle with our flesh every day. And so we don't deny it. We don't pretend that we're better than we are. We just say, look, Lord, if, uh, apart from you, I'm going to mess up. So keep me close, Jesus. The reality is in our flesh, we're going to do bad things. We're going to make bad choices. And we're going to live a life that separates us from fellowship with God. But that's why we've got to come to that place where Paul did when he said, Oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? And then he gave the answer. I thank my God through Jesus Christ. He's the deliverer. So the Apostle Paul struggled with his flesh. Now, we know a couple of things that the Apostle Paul struggled with. We know that he didn't like being alone. He struggled with depression from time to time. We also know that he might have struggled just a little bit with pride. The, the, the thorn in his flesh was given by a messenger of Satan and were given the reason for it to keep him from being conceited because of all of the surpassingly great revelations that he'd been given. So we know that he struggled with things. I think Paul sometimes was a little frustrated and impatient with people, especially those who were trying to undo the ministry that he went from place to place to establish. Uh, So he was always fighting with his flesh. Now, no doubt he was more sensitive to his flesh than I am to mine or than you are to yours. But this is an autobiographical explanation. And uh, the the placement of it is is significant because he he finishes that chapter and goes right into Romans chapter 8, which was the answer. How do we, we, we... fix that? How do we stop doing the wrong thing and start doing the right things? It's simple. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And Romans chapter 8 is this glorious chapter 
about life in the Spirit. It's the place, Israel, that God wants us all to live in every single day. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the beginning of Romans 8. And too many of us, we struggle in Romans chapter 7 for so long that we don't get to Romans chapter 8 nearly enough. And that's why Paul was telling us, this is my own struggle. That's why Paul could consider himself the chief of sinners. And remember, too much is given, much in the idea there is much more is required. Uh, Paul was taught by Jesus himself over a period of three years in the Arabian wilderness. He had visitations from Jesus on multiple occasions. Paul had been to heaven after being stoned in Lystra. So he was accountable. So what would seem like to us a minor sin to the Apostle Paul was a big sin. And he hated it. And one of the lessons that we can learn from this, Israel, is that we all of us, we need to learn to hate all all of our sins, not just the big ones or the destructive ones, but all of our sins, the little tiny lies, the exaggerations, the impatience, the frustration that we experience holding on to unforgiveness. We need to hate that stuff. The Apostle Paul did, and that's what he was talking about in Romans chapter 7. Very good question. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'd love your calls in the time that we've got left. Here is a question from Gabriel. And he says, well, let's, before that, I got a phone call that just came in. We got Matthew from Cibolo on line one. Matthew, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Papa. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing well, Matthew. Good to hear from you. Good. All right, awesome. We, uh, so sometimes we fellowship at work, and so we we're talking about blessings, and I kind of want to get your your intake on blessings. Uh, my simple de- definition of a blessing, it could be good or bad situation, but, you know, it draws us closer to the Lord. And you expound more on what blessings are, biblical blessings, and then, because, um, of course, we hear that in today's world, oh, I was blessed with this home, or I was blessed <laughs> with this money or new job. You know, and we all say that, you know. I've said that personally before, even without the Lord. You know, so... Uh, <laughs> But also that, and then I also want to talk about good, the word good. I know the Bible talks about that not one is good. And uh, so I don't know if you know, but a fun fact is that there's over 40 definitions of the word good. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of want to get your input on, you know, biblical good and biblical blessings. Okay. You, Papa. <laughs> I can do it. Thank you, Matthew. You know, the, the funny thing, I'm inside four minutes, so this will be my last uh, question today. Um, the, the funny thing about the, the word blessing, you know, we say it all the time. As Matthew pointed out, in our conversation, but we even sit in our prayers, Lord, bless me with this. Lord, bless them. Uh, we're praying for somebody. Bless them, Lord. And, and typically, we can't define what we mean. To us, being blessed is things working out the way we want them to. That's not biblical blessing at all. The idea about blessing, um, the Greek word is eulogio. It's, we get the word eulogy from it. And it means happy. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, he's saying happy. And so that's, that's what biblical blessing is. It's, it's that which makes us happy. And, and I think the outworking of that, Matthew, is that we are blessed by God. We are happy when we're with him, when we're walking in his will, when we're using the gifts of the spirit that he's given us for his glory, then we can't help but to be blessed. Matthew, you you come here so as you know, I use the phrase all the time, living or walking under the spout where the glory comes out. That's the place of blessing. Just walking with Jesus in his will and we can't help but to be blessed over and over and over. So all that means is 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 happy. It's that 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 moment where God turns things around and changes that which is intended for evil into something that is good and and used by God to strengthen us. So one of the things that I tell people here at Calvary Chapel to do all the time is try to talk like normal human beings when you talk with the Lord. If you want to pray for somebody, Pray what you want. Um, Lord, I pray that their marriage 
would be fixed. I pray that their their walk with you would be abundant and fruitful instead of just using terms like bless them, Lord. So again, we understand the intent, but I think it's better if we use the words properly and communicate exactly what we mean. The idea of being good in the Bible, um, all we have to do is go to the, the, the story of the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and said, hello, good teacher. And, and Jesus immediately, his attention was arrested. He said, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. And, and he understood that from a Jewish construct that, that good was used by rabbis only for God. And what he was saying to this rich young ruler was, you know who I am. That's why you're here. And that just raised the accountability level way, way, way high. So the idea of good, in my flesh is nothing good. That doesn't mean that we can't do good things or be perceived as being good people. I hope, in fact, that's the case. But the idea is that that our good has a completely different standard. God's standard is the only one that matters. And the best I can do stinks, Matthew. And the reality is uh, I can try as hard as I want to be good. I can't be good. And if I realize that and make peace with that, then what I can say is, Lord, the only good that comes from me is Christ in me, the hope of glory pouring from me. Thank you, Matthew. I appreciate the question. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate the phone calls and the question today. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.